Key on Sports will once again be the premier source for high school football coverage this upcoming season. If your small company would like a 30-second commercial during every broadcast of high school football, please email me, Vince McKee, at coachvin14 at yahoo.com to discuss pricing and all the options we give small companies all around Northeast Ohio. You are listening to KeonSports.com, and up next, the Player Spotlight Series brings to you Felix Wright. Welcome into the Player Spotlight Series. Tonight, we have on legendary Cleveland Brown, Felix Wright. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Felix Wright. Thank you again for joining us here on Keon Sports. I am your host, Vince McKee. Very excited to bring you today uh, legendary safety of the Cleveland Browns, Felix Wright. A lot of people my age definitely remember him. I'm 38. He was part of those glory year teams of going to the AFC Championship game three out of four years, playing with Marty Schottenheimer and then Bud Carson, an incredible secondary that they had at the time with him, Frank Minifield, and Hanford Dixon. One can only wonder what would have happened. Um, you know, if, if they didn't meet with, you know, tragedy there with uh, Rodgers as well. Just uh, just crazy to think how good that team was and they did not get to a Super Bowl, but still a magnificent time in Cleveland Browns history. And we're going to talk to Felix Wright right now. So let's go ahead and get him on the hotline. On the hotline joining us now is uh, former Cleveland Brown, former Minnesota Viking, NFLer, one of my all-time favorite players, Felix Wright. Welcome to the show. Well, I thank you for inviting me back to the show again. Uh, I hear you have quite the success going with your with your company there, and I'm so proud of you. Oh, geez, that means a lot. Thank you. I I appreciate it. We uh, we try to stay as humble as possible, work really hard, and uh, just take what God gives us and move on. So thank you so much. Um, you know, we cover a lot of high school sports, and that's kind of where I want to start with you. You know, coming out of Carthage High School in Missouri, you chose to attend Drake College. Why did you make that decision to attend Drake? Well, you know what? I was I was decent in all the sports. I would think probably probably football was my, probably my second best sport, and uh, baseball was my number one sport. And then you know then probably basketball after that. But uh, I played three sports in high school, and uh, we we got a lot of we got a lot of letters and a lot of offers from baseball teams. But it seems as though in high school. For whatever reason, I always got hurt playing baseball. It's, it's unbelievable. I was an all-state player my junior and senior years in, in high school. So we, you know, we received a lot of letters from the Big Eight. There was the Big Eight at the time, and and some teams out in uh, Arizona. So we, I always thought, what possibly you get a chance to really go play baseball in uh, in college. But uh, you know, football comes around first in the year in the school year. And uh, played pretty decent my my senior year, you know, all conference, all district, and I think I got second team all state. Uh, and uh, didn't get a lot of offers really in football. And Drake University uh, came to the school and watched some film and 
met me and offered me a, a scholarship. And, uh, you know, with the, with the situation that my family was in, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And uh, my mom and dad had talked about it and uncles and, and you know, we didn't have a lot of money then. And uh, we just kind of took the first offer. So that's how I kind of ended up at Drake University. They were the first ones to offer. We kind of took it. We didn't wait for baseball. I wish Drake University would have had a baseball team. I would have had an opportunity to play baseball, but uh, they didn't. So that's kind of how I ended up with with, uh, with Drake. It was, uh, it was the only football offer that I had received. We decided to take it. Uh, that way I was kind of guaranteed to get my schooling paid for and maybe get an opportunity to go to the next level. You know, and, and, and speaking of that, we're going to get to that in, in a second, your career with the CFL and then into the NFL. But I have to ask you a question. I don't, I don't even have this written down, but this is something that, you know, I, I've wanted to ask different players over the years. When you, you know, when you're playing safety, which to me is a position that with as much as the NFL has evolved over all the years and now more than ever, it's a passing game, which is crazy to think because when you played, it was more of a running game, quite honestly. So, I mean, now, you know, these teams are passing the ball like crazy as a safety. How much are you reading the quarterback's eyes pre-snap, after snap? Are you locked in on on his on the quarterback's head movement, and how do you even practice that? Well, you, you know, basically, as a safety at the safety position, it depends if you play strong safety or or you play the uh, free safety because uh, they have two different deals. They do you know the strong safety kind of covers the strong side, the tight end, the two receiver side. And his responsibility is using the tight end, and that's kind of his keys. But as a free safety, which I played the majority of my time, uh, actually we we do look at the quarterback. We kind of see what his position. If he's if he's uh, you know up to the line of scrimmage or off the line of scrimmage, we'll kind of determine some of the things that he does. But but the true read that we get is we're usually looking at the uh, weak side guard and tackle, and and. Uh, uh, if you know, and that that's really our first indication. So if his is just if his ball uh, on the line or ball off the line, if his head comes up, it usually means that uh, it's uh, it's usually pass protection. And if his head stays down and he's driving, it usually means it's a run. So that is really our first indicator that will determine if we come right now or if we wait and backpedal and wait for the pass. And then basically our eyes go back to the quarterback just to see where he's looking. If you don't have a quarterback that disguises very well, you can get him. But if you got an excellent quarterback like we did at the time with Bernie Kosar, he was so awkward and uh, was looking one way and throw another. Uh, you know, he was he was very good. And that's the reason why he didn't have a whole lot. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions because it was hard to read him because he was so awkward. But uh, that's usually how we we do it. And uh, probably the, the the most success I had uh, against any quarterback was probably Warren Moon. I I uh, just just had him down. Was able to read him and and determine which side of the field he was going to cheat that way and and uh, and react. And I think that you know really the overall key is that we were well coached and uh, we were students of the game, which uh, which makes a big difference. If you're, you know you're a student of the game, which means you know exactly what they want to do to you down in distance, who they want to go to. So all those little small little keys help out where you can just go out and just read and react and not guess. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, not I'm not trying to start any controversy or anything crazy like that, but I've said to people, you know, quite frankly, one of the most important plays a quarterback can perfect is his play-action fake. 
absolutely. And and not only that, but when it's when it's not a play action fake, just a simple handoff play, make it look like you still have the ball. And when it's a play action fake, make it look like you don't have the ball. One you know one thing that Baker Mayfield did in his rookie year with the Browns, he did that play action fake actually pretty well. And then I don't I don't know what the hell happened last year. Hopefully things change again. But that's something that he kind of shied away from this past season, and that really has a lot to do with things because. If you could get the DBs to bite, or really, if you could get those safeties to bite, then you could have a tight end coming over the middle. You really, you you option out a million different options on that play action fake if you could get that secondary to bite. And that's that's why I'm glad you answered that question that way. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at probably the best in the NFL is probably Aaron Rodgers. He's very good at, at that disguising with his, his snap counts. He draws a lot of people off sides a lot. And then... He, he, the play action pass, he does really well, and and uh, and he, he's had. I don't want to say he's had excellent running backs. He hadn't had a star like a Nick Chubb or anything, but uh, you know. But for that, for in order for that play action to work, you got to be successful in the run game. That way, you can get those safeties coming up, and then when they do start coming up, then they will. Uh, you know, you can get those receivers behind them. I mean, and you played during the same time as Ronnie Lott. And for me as a fan, he was my one of my all-time favorite defensive players. I think him and, you know, Harvey Long. But Ronnie Lott was the kind of guy who was not only a coverage safety, but he was a physical safety. He could lay somebody out. What, you know, did you did you ever get a chance to study him? I know you're so busy during the season when you're playing, but was there ever, you know, was he around like a Monday night football game where you could sit back and watch him? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I did. Yeah, Ronnie Ronnie was probably the best thing on him and Steve Atwater. We had, we had quite a few good safeties back when I when I played, and uh, you know those guys were just very physical ball players, and that's how they had so much success. Is that they were physical. Now, for me, I'd say I'm probably both. I, I, I'm a finesse player as well as a physical player if I needed to be. But uh, the reason why they had so much success is because they were very physical ball players, and anybody would come in their area. They would just demolish them. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, therefore, if, uh, you know, if a receiver comes across the middle and he knows Ronnie Lott's there, he might get alligator arms or short arm it, tip the ball. And that's how Ronnie got a lot of his interceptions and had a lot of success that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, f- focusing on you, and, and thank you for answering those last couple of questions. Those were just general questions. I've You know, I, I know that if I ask you, I'm going to get an intelligent response. So I definitely uh, I appreciate that. Now, Upon graduation, you were not drafted by the NFL. Instead, you chose to play for the CFL, the Hamilton Thundercats. And I cannot think of a cooler name for a Canadian football team than the Thundercats. That is awesome in itself. Why did you choose to play in the CFL? And how much motivation did it give you to excel there to make your way to the NFL? Well, you know what? Like I said, playing at Drake University, we was in the Missouri Valley Conference, and at that time, we didn't get a lot of recognition. We didn't get a lot of exposure. But we played teams like Iowa State and Colorado and Nebraska. So we did get some looks, but we just didn't get a lot of exposure. So, therefore, I think that harmed me in regards to to give them a legitimate look and getting an opportunity to get even going to training camp. So, basically, I did graduate with a four-year degree, I was a, a teacher, you know, I taught a little bit of history, a little bit of physical education, and just a little bit of driver's ed there, and also coached football, basketball, and track. And, 
you know, so that that was one of the things that, that I was taught, you know, you know, get your get your free education as well as, you know, play well, maybe you'll get a chance to go to the next level in either spot. So I guess, you know, teaching was my calling for that year one. And uh, pretty much, you know, being only four years older than the group, the high school group that I was actually coaching, uh, anytime I asked them to do anything, I did it with them. So it kept me in pretty good shape. And, uh, you know, one day we got to talking about it, and I went home and uh, asked my mom to, you know, get out my school books because I, you know, wanted to check out a letter there. Because the coaches had kind of put a bug in my ear and said, Felix, you really shouldn't be here. You should be somewhere playing ball. And uh, so I went back and checked out the letters, and my, you know, my mom pulled out a couple books, and I pulled out a letter that I got one letter from my agent. And he's actually from Philadelphia. Ironically, I'm here. Uh, his name is Elliot Lehman. And I called him up and said, hey, Elliot, uh, this is Felix. And he said, oh, I know who you are. Uh, what's going on? And I said, well, you know what? I'm coaching uh, high school football here. And, and I just wanted to know if you think there's an opportunity where maybe you can give me a tryout or something, you know, and, and, you know around, the, around, the, around the country. And he says, well, he said, I don't know what, what I could do or how I could help, but, you know, uh, if uh, he says, but, you know, I'll make a few calls and see what we can come up with. So he he called me back the next day and says, hey, I got some good news and bad news. And I'm like, wow, okay, what could that possibly be? And he said, well, you want the good news first or the bad news? And I said, ah. Give me the good news. And I said, he said, I got you two two tryouts. And I'm like, well, that's what could be possibly bad. And he said, well, they're on this, they're on the same day. <laughs> so, so I had to make a decision on which team I wanted to go to. There was the Detroit Lions that, uh, that had a tryout on a weekend and then also the Houston uh, Oilers. And so uh, because I was on a school teacher's salary, not making much money, and I had to pay for the trip myself, I had to – uh, determined that I'd go to the one in Houston because it was a lot closer and it was going to cost me a lot less money if things didn't work out. Right. So, so basically what I did is I asked my uh, my uncle uh, to help me drive down there and and uh, and and you know just kind of just hang out with me until I go through this workout and bring me back and he agreed. And uh, so I took that I took that uh, that opportunity to go down to Houston and work out. And uh, it was a uh, it was a Friday Saturday deal, and I was uh, picked to kind of run and work out on Saturday. And um, I remember I had to take time off from school, take a day off, and and go down there and do this. And I remember going down there on Friday, and we we had to check in just to make sure we were there. And I remember there being about. Oh, a good, a good two fifty, three hundred ball players there, just kind of working out, and they were at all positions. And I became very, you know, disgusted, <laughs> you know, because because uh, I was like, wow, they got this many people here, and and uh, and you know, there's a couple of people beside me said, yeah, they're going to have the same amount tomorrow. And I was, I looked at my uncle and I said, we should just go home. This is a waste of time. And my uncle says, look here, I took some time off. You're going to work out. So, so I said, all right, I'll work out. But I still think it's a waste of time. So, you know, we went back and got checked into our hotel. After we, we checked in with the Oilers and uh, 
you know, went and stretched and got ready for the for Saturday. Went in Saturday morning and did my lifting, did my running, and did my agilities. And after about an hour, they blew the whistle and and uh, and said, "Hey, you know, we we uh, appreciate all you ball players coming out." Actually, and they had the group that was uh, on Friday come as well. So there was a, there was about five hundred guys there. It was crazy. As crowded as it was, and said, "Well, we picked three names," and uh, everybody just kind of gasped and put their head down, saying, "Wow, you know." And uh, my name was the second one called, which was uh, which was surreal. It was unbelievable. And so that you know uh, that uh, that you know they they brought us up and brought us into the facility and says, "We'll come back tomorrow and we'll get you signed up on a contract and we'll invite you to a training camp." So, uh, went through that process, went through, you know, went back to school, had to resign from the school and, uh, started working out and getting ready and actually went up to, uh, Houston probably in June just to get ready and, and to work out with the team. And, uh, actually had probably of my whole professional career had probably my best training camp in Houston. I actually, we we actually trained in training camp at uh, San Angelo, Texas, at uh, Angelo State, and uh, and I just I, I played well, and uh, you know my, my speed was down, my technique was good, but still wasn't good enough to uh, to make that team. I actually got released after the third free season game, which is was really unbelievable. And uh, I, I, I always remember this is that my defensive back coach at the time really liked me. His name is Kenny Houston. And Kenny Houston was a all-pro Hall of Famer safety in the NFL for, I think, 12, 13 years. And uh, I remember him coming up to me and he said, Felix, he said, I apologize. I had no, you know, you know, you know, I, I wanted you. I fought for you, uh, but and the decision wasn't mine. But I, I'm going to tell you right now: stick with it because you'll be playing in this league sometime. I'm like, all right, coach. But you know how, how you know what what happens there. You say, okay, whatever. You know. Sure. So so I uh, traveled back to Missouri, back to my home, and as soon as I got home, I got a I got a call from the from the Hamil- from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, up in Canada and said, Hey, you can come play for us right now. And I'm like, I've never heard of you guys before, <laughs> you know? So it was, uh, it was pretty wild. I, I, I didn't know anything about Canada. didn't know anything about Canadian football. And, uh, I said, well, what the heck? I'll just give it a shot and see what happens. So that's kind of how I got to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I went up there and, and, um, I went up there on a Thursday, and uh, had one practice. Well, we traveled the next day on Friday, and Saturday I was out on the field starting against the Edmonton Eskimos, and the quarter their starting quarterback was Warren Moon, and that's kind of how it started. Uh, Warren started picking on the young guy, the young new guy for the Hamilton for the Hamilton Niger Cats, and probably I think this fifth pass he threw my way, I intercepted it. And it and took it about 50 yards, and that's how that's how I got started. So I played the I played the last three games there with Hamilton, and then uh, they obviously liked what they saw, and they signed me to a, a two year contract after that, and uh, and kind of the rest is history. 
because uh, I signed two more years. Actually, we we um, my first year, my well, my first because I only played the last three games uh, up there because they start earlier than the NFL about about a good month and a half. And uh, the next two years, we got into playoffs. We went to the uh, to the pretty much it's called the Eastern Final, which is like the you know the AFC Championship mm-hmm. uh, in year one, and we lost to Toronto. My first, first, uh, my second year up there, and then my last year, uh, same same scenario where we played Toronto in the Eastern Final, and then we actually won that game in Toronto and actually went to the Grey Cup. Yeah, and uh, I, you know we 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 had uh, two pretty awesome quarterbacks because when I first got up there, our quarterback uh, was uh, Tommy Clements from Notre Dame. Sure, pretty good, pretty good quarterback, and. And then the, out in Winnipeg, they had a, a quarterback out there named Dieter Brock. And uh, in midseason, my last year, we traded for Dieter, and and uh, Tommy Clements went to Winnipeg, which was pretty wild. So Dieter was pretty much a pretty hot item on the NFL circuit, and um, we had uh, so for the Eastern Final game when we played the the Toronto Argonauts. Um, a lot of the scouts had been looking at Dieter and they came in to, to watch him play because they were had a couple few teams that wanted to offer him a contract. And uh, so we had a bunch of NFL scouts out there because he brought up a lot of attention to us. And uh, it just so happened that that particular game, I'd gotten four interceptions in that Eastern Championship game. Unbelievable. Which, uh, which took us to the Grey Cup out in Edmonton against Winnipeg. And uh, so it kind of, you know, just kind of caught their eye. And then when we got in the championship game, I'd had two interceptions in that game. And uh, and so that's when the scouts started talking to Dieter and myself. And, uh, you know, what ended up happening is at the end of the season, I had about six NFL teams that were interested in me. And uh, Cleveland won out pretty much. Uh, Marty Sch- Actually, Marty Schottenheimer won out because he was the – the best opportunity I, I felt that I, I had, and he just told me that uh, you're 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 a good ball player. We we want you to come in here and compete for a job. And if you're the best uh, player at that position, you're going to play. It doesn't matter if you're a first rounder or a free agent. You're going to get an equal opportunity to get in there. And that's all. I, you know, I think any athlete that's all they want to hear is just a, an equal chance, which I didn't really get down in Houston. So that's how I, beca- I became a. Uh, a Hamilton Tiger Cat. Yeah, and also how you became a Cleveland, you know, a Cleveland Brown as well, which that was great. Um, you, know, you definitely covered a lot there, and I appreciate it very much. You know, when you showed up, when you showed up in Cleveland, you know, what was uh, obviously, you know, Marty Schottenheimer was a fair coach. You said it a lot of. That's why a lot of fans loved him. It didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter, you know, where you were drafted. If you were going to be even be willing to play special teams like you did your first season there in '85, whatever you know, whatever it took to get on that roster, you were going to do it, and Marty was going to give you that chance. And what a lot of people don't even realize is back then, Bill Cowher was on that coaching staff. So, you know, definitely some some big names there, uh, big personalities. But at that time, I think everybody was very humble and, and had the same mission. But for you, you know, showing up from the Canadian Football League, what really that first season in '85? What were your impressions? Of the Cleveland Browns fan base. Oh, I, I thought it was, it was it was crazy because you know I uh, you know playing at playing at Drake University, I uh, 
you know, it's it a smaller university, and you know, we played in front of you know five, ten thousand people. Now, when we went to Iowa State or Colorado, you know, we were playing in front of forty to fifty thousand people, which was pretty awesome. So, and I, I only had gotten the opportunity to uh, to play that, you know, a couple couple times. But uh, when when I came to, and then we then when I went to Hamilton. I think our stadium at the time probably held probably, you know, 35, 35,000 people. And so when I came to Cleveland and we had a, that 80,000 seat, you know, stadium there, Cleveland Browns, it was just unbelievable. I said, there's no way we could possibly fill up this place. Cause it's, you know, and, uh, I'd be, I'd be darn, you know, yeah. come out to, come out the, the, the first week and, Sold out eighty thousand people. It was unbelievable. Uh, the fan base is just outstanding. One of the best in the NFL, no doubt, for sure. And that you know, and that and that also, I think, uh, plays a big part in a lot of the guys like Hanford Dixon, Reggie Langhorn, you know, Brian Brennan, uh, Herman Fontenot, uh, Bernie Kosar. I think that contributes to a lot of those guys actually staying in the city after they retire, you know, because I'm from Missouri, Reggie's from, from, uh, you know, Virginia, Bernie's from around here, Boardman, but, you know, guys end up sticking around because they, you know, the fan base was so awesome. They treated us right. And we're, plus we, we're still involved with the Browns organization, which is awesome. But, uh, you know, one of the best fan bases in the country. And I just hoped it, hope, you know, we, I think we did our part. I mean, obviously we would like to get to the Super Bowl, but we got to the, the, the game before the Super Bowl three times. So uh, hopefully one of these days we'll be able to treat the people right and get to the Super Bowl and see what we can do from there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, like we talked about your first year, you guys made it to the playoffs, lost to Miami. A lot of people forget um, the Browns were up 21 to nothing in that game. So they they had one of the best teams in football on the ropes the year before. Uh you know, I got I got to look at my math, but pretty sure you know it was um, the Dolphins had made the Super Bowl. I think maybe two years before in Marino's rookie year or sophomore year. So that that Dolphins team was damn good. Now, oh yeah, yeah, they were very good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now moving into 1986, however, 1986, my it's the first year I, I clearly remember watching every game. I was four years old, but I'm, I'm telling you, I remember every game. <laughs> Just I, I grew up as as a diehard sports fan, and and 86 was fabulous. 12 and four. With overtime wins, you know, against division rivals like Pittsburgh and Houston, you guys proved you were you were mentally tough. What made that second, you know, what made that team great was their secondary: Hanford Dixon, Frank Minifield, Don Rogers, and your oh, yeah. and yourself. And I want you to get into a little bit of all that. How special, you know? And then we'll talk about the postseason because everybody everybody always loves to talk about that postseason. We'll get there in a second. But first, I just want you to address how special was it playing with Hanford, Frank, and Don Rogers. And, you know, how tragic was it for you guys, you know, eventually with what happened to your teammate and, and Don Rogers, just, you know, how hard was that to cope with? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, that was, that was very tough to, to deal with the Donnie Rogers situation, you know, and I, and I was just in my first year after, you know, we played one year together and he was a, an awesome guy, uh, an awesome teammate. He just, you know, just got kind of caught up in the wrong things that he was doing and it, and it they caught up with him, but uh, as far as a ball player, he was probably he, he was he was he would definitely be a, been a Hall of Famer, you know, if he'd have got enough years in. 
Uh, as far as any prediction of Frank Minifield, I, you know, I felt they were uh, the best in the game at the time. Uh, right next to a uh, Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes, which played for the Raiders at the time, they were awesome as well. And uh, Mike Haynes is a, is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Lester Hayes was a, was a, was a beautiful cornerback and did everything right and made plays. But I think, uh, uh, you know, Frank Minifield and, and Hanford Dixon were right up there with them. And uh, that, like I said, they were – the reason why they had so much success is that they were students of the game, which means that, you know, they knew exactly what that receiver wanted to do to them, and they just made that receiver like the back of their hand. And uh, uh, receivers feared to come play us because they know that they uh, it was going to be a long day when they came to Cleveland or when we came there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I don't know how you even penetrate that secondary. You know, looking back on it, just absolutely amazing. Now, the playoff win at home against the Jets is a game that fans still speak about today all these years later. One of my favorite games as well. The thrilling and probable comeback that led to another overtime win. A couple things here. What was it like to play in that game at Cleveland Municipal Stadium against the Jets in the playoffs? And, you know, were you – obviously you were on the sidelines – what was going through your mind when uh, Kozar got late hit by Gastineau that kept a series alive when the game was basically over at that point if Mark Gastineau doesn't lose his head? You know, what were you guys thinking? Because you were down, the clock was running out, and all of a sudden you get this miracle. Yeah, well, the, what we said on the sidelines, we got them. <laughs> we, we're going to get them. So, you know, we've been battling all day. And it, it was a tough day for us. And uh, I don't think we were playing our best ball. But, uh, you know, when you can win and, and not play your best ball, that's you know, when you got a pretty sound, good team, well-coached team. But it was, it was a tough day for us. And I, I remember uh, decisively uh, the, some of the fans leaving the game and then rushing back in. It, it, was, it was amazing how that happened. In fact, I, we actually, about, about a couple of weeks ago, uh, my neighbor and I were talking about that, that he was talking, he was at that game as well, and he didn't leave, and he got to see – you know, everything that happened. But, uh, yeah, that was an amazing game. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they say, you know, things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, we were living right and playing right and it worked out for us. And, uh, you know, it was good for us, but tough on them because I would, I would have hated to lose that way. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And the following week, you know, it's the game that everybody loves to dwell on, but, you know, it, it, it's part of history, and it's it's part of all of our lives. You know, me as a sports writer, you as a player who was there, part of it all. Two-part question for you here, because um, I have a, a weird feeling that each, you know, each part of this answer is going to be different. Going into the AFC Championship game against Denver that first time at home, two parts here. Part number one, what was the game plan going into that game to stop John Elway? And then what was the game plan on the final drive of regulation in which he led them 98 yards to tie the game and send it into overtime. Were those two game plans different? No, 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 no. It was the same game plan. You know, we, we were an, an aggressive uh, team. Uh, offensively, we, we had a great running game. We had a great passing game. You know, we, in the passing game, we had Slaughter, Langhorn, and, and uh, Brennan and uh, Ozzie Newsom. And in the run game, we, you know, we had, uh, you know, Ernest Biner, Kevin Mack. 
So we had a full force there on defense. We were just, we were going to be aggressive, uh, you know, against the little guys. They had, they had little wide receivers. Uh, I think they called them the three amigos yep. and, and we pretty much handled those receivers. They were, they, they, they were good receivers, but you know, if you're physical with them, we can kind of keep them down. They're going to get, you know, but you know, they're, they're going to get their catches because they're professionals as well. But I don't think that hurt us at all. And, uh, you know, we, we had pretty much control of the game throughout the game. Um, and, uh, you know, we were aggressive playing a lot of man to man. Uh, we had, you know, great corners that was able to cover and we, we made plays. It was just a good sound game. And then, yeah, everybody wants to know about the, the last series, uh, uh, you know, what happened. And usually, you know, and most teams back in the day is what they did is, is that, you know, they had a nice lead of a seven point lead or a 10 point lead. Uh, you know, they would relax their defense and, uh, and go and, and go into more of a kind of a prevent defense, which means kind of like a bend, but don't defense, keep everybody in front of you make the tackle, make them work for it. And, uh, if you didn't know most, most offenses, uh, are very impatient, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they, you know, very rarely do you see a 80 to 90 yard drive, uh, where an offense is patient. You usually try and, you know, come up with a trick play or, or come up with a long play down the field that they methodically run down the field. And, 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 they, and they had some luck on some plays too, because there was, there's, there's a time, I think when, when Elway fumbled, the ball was tipped, was, yep. it was he hit something. Yep. It was just, you know, it was just one of those days where everything was just going right for them. Uh, and Elway is obviously, you know, he's a, he was a pro bowler and he's a hall of famer now. I've uh, been to five Super Bowls. So, I mean, he's, he was worthy of, of his accolades and he, it was just one of those deals where he was just on, he was making things happen. And, you know, we, we did go into a little bit of a prevent defense was probably against that team, probably not the correct thing to do, but it's, 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 it's what we did all season. So what we, we so it wasn't unfamiliar to us to try and protect our lead because we know the offenses get impatient, and when they get impatient, they make a mistake, whether it be a fumble or whether it be an interception, and uh, we weren't able to 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 make that big play in that last series. You know, we were able to make that play as far as making a sack or getting an interception or getting a fumble, and they went down and tied the game. Which you know, which me, you know, which we were sad about, but we still had an opportunity to you know, come back and, you know, win that thing, you know, as well, as well as they did. And obviously they came up with the big play to, uh, you know, to win the game in the end. But, uh, but we didn't change up our strategy as far as defense. That's something we did all season to where, you know, we were winning the game and we thought it had it well in hand. We would get a little prevent where you just keep the receiver, make the tackle and keep him in front of you. And, uh, you know, with, with, you know, great quarterbacks, you know, you, you look at an, an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or, you know, Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson, you just, uh, you know, two minutes is a lot of time. And, uh, and, uh, Elway and uh, was able to just make it happen. But that's something that we've been doing all season, you know, where we had a lead where we just tried to keep the people in front of us and go into a little prevent, which actually backfired on us that day. You know, here's the thing. A couple things here. A couple things. One, since that game in 1987, you know, the Jan- January of 1987, you've seen, all of us have seen, well over 200 to 300, if not more than that, last second come from behind drives. The two-minute drill is one of the biggest things now with NFL football 
especially as much as they throw it. We've seen it in Super Bowls. We've seen it in playoff games. Why ESPN and other media outlets dwell on that one game is beyond belief to me to the point where it irritates the crap out of me because it's not like that's the only football game ever where a last-second drive, you know, tie the game to send it to overtime or whatever the case may be. So that irritates me. Number two, the field goal in overtime wasn't good. Go back. Yeah, that was no good. I think the referees just wanted to get the game over. But uh, it, it was, it, I was out there, and I looked back, and I said, oh, we got him. We got another chance. And when they raised their hands, I'm like, what in the hell did they see that I didn't see? You know, but, uh, you know, they there was – that was one of those things where you can't go back and review it. It was terrible, terrible call. Oh, to this day. You know, I've talked to John Tellage and, and different people who were there, and they, they will say, they'll swear up and down, that was not a good kick. I mean, it's crazy to think, you know, today's day and age, what would have been. But, so, you know, here's my question. Then here we are talking about this now 30-plus years later, and it's mind-boggling to me. So for you as a pro athlete, how hard was that to cope with? And, you know, now here you are all these years later. You know, I I still get pissed when I see it on TV. For you being a part of it, how irritating is it that certain media outlets just continue to dwell on that? I mean, it's the damn Cavs against the Golden State Warriors. In the in the finals, four years in a row, and you better believe, four years in a row, here we got to go again with watching the drive and the fumble. Yeah, yeah. Every every, every playoff season, it seems like they play the fumble. Uh, you know the 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 the, the uh, yeah they play those 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 two games, two minute drive. You know, I, I don't I don't know why they do that. Uh, maybe 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 they're. Uh, Saying that you know Cleveland should do better, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why, why that happens all the time. But you know, it's funny because my uncle, my uncle always says that. Well, he said, "Man, how come they always play those games when Cleveland and Denver play together? Even during the regular season, they 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 bring that stuff up." But I, I think that uh, you know because they were they were you know and, and they are keeping this alive as far as you know the Browns' name. They keep you know they keep talking about it, which is I guess a positive, but. Yeah, as far as the guys that actually played in that game, those games, we're like, oh man, here we go again. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know? no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, but I'm not sure why those outlet people, uh, you know, in the, in the media, yeah, uh, keep talking about that. Make, maybe it makes them feel good. I don't know. Maybe you know. <laughs> it's called. Maybe maybe if you if you get down there, uh, maybe one of these days you'll be able to ask them why and then see what their response will be. And they. Probably wouldn't be able to give you a legit answer either. No, I'll, I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best to summarize it. It's called laziness. Right. <laughs> exactly. There, there goes there burns my bridge if it's ever worked for ESPN. But yeah, no, seriously, like it just do a little homework. There's there's been more than this one thing you could refer back to. Drives me nuts. Following year, you guys come back again. Every bit is good. Kevin Mack, Aaron Spiner running the ball like crazy. Right back in the playoffs, a home victory against the Colts. You know, after you beat the Colts in, in in the first round of the playoffs there, ironically enough, I'll never forget that game because my dad had just had his tonsils out. And I remember my dad just being in this unbelievable pain, but laying on the couch because he wasn't going to miss that game. And we're watching it together, him and, you know, my brother and everything. But when you played the Colts that day, okay, was it in the back of your mind, we win today, we get another shot at Denver to make last year finally go away? You know what? Honestly, when I think about it, no, we we, we didn't really think about Denver. 
we were just actually, you know, and then, like I said, we, we were good at staying focused on that particular certain game. And we knew that the, the Colts, we should probably, we, we knew that we should beat the Colts, but, you know, anything can happen in playoff games. And uh, it just, you, we knew as soon as we had won the game that, you know, well, we're going to have to go up against the, our nemesis, you know, Elway and the boys, and we'll see what we can come up with. But this, you know, it was a different different scenario to where now we had to go into Denver, which we know that was even going to make it even tougher. You know, Felix, it blows my mind today how after these games are over and you see the players exchange jerseys and take pictures together and, they're, you know, they're playing slap ass and everything, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know? Like, can you can you ever imagine a, a scenario back in your day where after the game you'd walk over to John Elway and give him a hug? I mean, was it just unheard of? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That was one of our mottos. And uh, it, after, you know, during the game, before the game, Minifield was probably the biggest, the biggest one about it is that he says, listen, guys, we're in this for battle and we want to win. I don't want to see anybody out there fraternizing with the enemy. <laughs> so, so that was his key word before each game. Don't fraternize them with the enemy. Don't talk to them because when they try to talk to you, they try and distract you and keep you from doing the things that you, we need to do. So no fraternizing. We don't see anybody out there fraternizing with the enemy. So, no, we didn't do that. We didn't exchange jerseys. That wasn't a thing back in the day. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know who started that and why they started it. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – it's it, 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 it's kind of cool, but yeah, there's I think there's too much uh, too much of that going on now. Uh, if they want to do it, I think they should do it in the off season because they can, you know, they you know they can, you know, do that stuff when the, when the season's over without the cameras being around because it looks it looks kind of corny. I think you know right after game you get beat and then you're out there exchanging jerseys, which is I'd be pissed off if I was your teammate doing it. So. Yeah, so would I, and I, you know, I put myself in that position. I, I am so competitive. I think maybe that's the reason why Keon Sports has done well. I hate to lose. I despise losing, like you want to believe. I'm unbelievably competitive, and I was a diehard fan, still to this day. I cannot imagine. I cannot in any, and we came from nothing, Felix. I mean, much like you guys, we didn't have any money growing up. We had, we were, we were poor. I'll just flat out say it. So for me to even go to a game was un- it wasn't going to happen unless we somehow some way got free tickets, okay? Right. So I can't imagine for any circumstance in the world we get tickets to a game, we get to go to a game, uh, you know, and then the Browns or whoever I'm there to cheer for, we'll say the Browns loses in heartbreaking fashion. I know as a fan I'm going to be sitting there crying no matter what age I am, and I can't imagine I can't imagine sitting there with my head between my knees crying and all of a sudden I look up and I see a Cleveland Brown exchanging jerseys with a with, with a Pittsburgh Steeler, I'd throw up, right? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. it's just like, and, and my mom and dad, who again didn't have any money, you know, somehow, some way, let's say they found a few bucks to take us to a game. That uh, it, it's just mind blowing to me, like mind blowing. Like I can never, it would it would ruin it. It would just ruin it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a different game these days. Actually, they the, the the NFL is not the NFL I played in back in the eighties and in the early nineties. It's changed up considerably, uh, and uh, that's just kind of the way the game is now. Uh, do I like it? Yeah, I mean, it's still football, you know, blocking and tackling, but I just don't think uh, it's the same as far as, you know, the physicalness and, 
I don't want to say the dedication because I think they're, you know, they're all dedicated. It's just a, this is a different mindset. What was the altitude like in Denver? You know, you come into that uh, 1987 uh, championship game, which physically was played in, in 88. I get that. But everybody says 87 because that was the season. So you go into that 87 championship game. You know, what was the altitude like? You're already hyped up. It's a, it's a chance for revenge. And why did you guys get behind so early in that game? What happened? Oh, turnovers. You know, we, we fumbled the ball our first possession. And they went out and scored immediately. So, I, altitude was tough. It was different. Well, we tried, you know, the two times we went out there for the championship games, the first time we went down to Dodger Town, down in Florida. Uh, and then the, the second time we went down to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the University of Mexico, we practiced there just to try and get ready for the altitude. Because, yep. you know, we had two weeks for, uh, we had, before the game. But uh, it was... Uh, yeah, I you know I don't think I had anything to do with it uh, as far as the you know as far as the altitude goes, but it did make a difference. It did make a difference. But you know I think that first game there we played in '88 is that you know we fumbled right off the bat and we got down big. Uh, we went in at halftime and kind of regrouped and and uh, buckled down. And I, I remember you know the first pass play in the uh, I think I, I, I think it's the right game where. You know, Elway came back out and threw the ball, and we got an interception, and, yep. and they just kind of turned it, to, kind of turned everything around, and and we got rolling. And uh, so, yeah, so that that's that's that, that's how we became. We 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 came back. I think we was able to uh, tie it up, and then we just kind of not not that we ran out of gas. It's just that you know they they just you know they were at home, they had a lot of momentum, and they made the plays that they needed to make. You know. It, it's uh, it's it's something I remember clearly. Ernest Miner had a tremendous game, a tremendous second half. If you go back and watch the tape, Ernest Miner got you guys back in the game on offense in that second half with receiving yards, rushing yards. The guy did it all. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. unfortunately, with 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 the way you know fans can be, and and again, I'll use the word laziness. People don't do the research like they should do. They they focus in on one play and not an entire game, not an entire season. It still happens today, all these years later, and it bugs me. People focus oh, yeah. in people focus in on two things about that play where he fumbled. One, obviously the fumble, and two, Webster Slaughter not blocking. But when you, and, and it's it's the truth. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. So yeah. you know, and and players are conditioned every now and then to take a play off even when you're on the field. That's how you, you gain your strength through the game. It's a well-known fact. I don't think I'm breaking any secrets there. People know that's right. what people know that goes on. So right. people who want to bash Webster Slaughter, you know what? You go run 50 plays in the altitude of Denver, and there might be a play where you don't block too, pal. So like, yeah. you can't burn on the guy. So I guess Absolutely. my – you know, I. This is one of those deals, you know, where it was just unfortunate that it happened and – uh you know, I, I don't know the exact thing that happened. I don't, you know, I, I, I just know that you know, they said something about that. But, you know, it was just one of those things that was just it was meant to be, you know. It was, it was, it was a tough play. Uh, Ernest didn't see the guy. Uh, and, it, you know, I just, I just kind of chalked it up as the guy from Denver made a, made a, made a, a good play, an outstanding play to, you know, to, to win the game for him. But yeah, it, it it is sad that they you know that you know after so many years we're we're still blaming playing the blame game. But uh, you know, like I said, we 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 you know I think if it was meant for us to win, we would have. But it just wasn't in the cards. 
No, I understand. You know, absolutely. And what was the mood towards Ernest Spiner after the game in the locker room? You know, what did you guys tell him to kind of pick him up? Oh, we, we all went up to him and said, hey, you know, Ernest, I mean, uh, this this is a part of the game. You, you're the one that single-handedly brought us back. And uh, unfortunate that that happened. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's, uh, we just tried to consult him. The coaches, you know, did a great job of doing that. And, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, as anybody would do, you just kind of go up to that guy and tell him he played a great game and sorry that, sorry that happened, you know. Well, what was the plan? Uh, and, and, you know, I consider you a friend. I've known you for a little while now, and I appreciate that. I got a couple of questions. I got a couple of questions left, and I'll I'll get to the last three questions here in a second. But I feel I, I just honestly, man, I feel like there's questions I could ask you that I probably wouldn't ask other people. And you know, one of them is this one: What was the plane ride like back from Denver that night? Well, I know I remember uh, we got on the uh, on the tarmac there, and we were taxiing. You know, we were getting ready to take off, and they had to shut her down. So it was wow. it was it was pretty pretty crazy plane ride that uh, we had to uh, go through but when we finally made it home you know as as we did you know you know and in, in you know in the years I've been there the fans were still there to cheer us on when we came home so it was a wonderful deal that they were there to kind of congratulate us on the season that we had and that's why I think with the, the Cleveland fans are so great. Even though we lost, there were still thousands of people out there waiting for us when we got home. No doubt about it. And, Felix, I know you've had a long day. You had a, a, a plane ride there, so I'm going to wrap this up. i only got three questions for you left here, and I, I do appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I could talk to you all day long, I know, but you got that cheesesteak waiting for you. You got that cheesesteak yeah. waiting. The, the, the next year saw an early exit in the playoffs, and then Marty Schottenheimer – left the team was it a surprise going from marty to bud carson oh absolutely it was it was and then that was one of the reasons why i came to cleveland is uh, you know because of marty schottenheimer so it was tough i was still under contract had to stick around uh, but yeah it was quite a surprise and we i don't think we ever got the real question because it happened in the off season and so it, we didn't have like a team meeting to say that he was uh sure. leaving so he just he just left without basically saying anything. So, so that was a tough one. Uh, but, you know, we, we were an experienced team, and most of the, most, most of us players were, were getting, hitting, you know, our 30s uh, as far as, you know, because when you hit your 30s in, in football, you're considered old. So, so uh, we, uh, you know, when they hired Bud Carson, we, we, liked, we liked Bud because he was a veteran coach and was had been around for, for a while with the Eagles, and, and he brought all the other coaches that had a lot of uh, experience as well. So I think our coaches probably had to be the oldest in the league at the time. And uh, we thought that it was, you know, it, it was a different philosophy. He's a totally different coach than a Marty. You know, with Marty, we were we were banging every day in practice, and you know, Marty was a believer that you played it like you practice, and we were we were a very physical team. And then when Bud came, it was a totally kind of the opposite way, where you know, training camp was was a little a little easier, you know, because if you got a veteran team, you got to take it easy so you can make it through the season. Uh, and and Bud also had a bit different philosophy, you know, because he was a defensive coach. And he had a different philosophy that he wanted to play. Actually, he switched my position from free safety to strong safety, uh, which I didn't like in the beginning. But he explained it to me. He set me down and explained it to me, saying, "This is my main guy in the defense, 
and uh, you're going to have an opportunity to make a lot of plays. I didn't really believe him at first, but uh, after we got in and started working at it, I was like, okay, I kind of like it here. And so he, he talked me into switching, and, and I did it gladly after he explained to me and and actually ended up being my best year in the league as far as turnovers. So that's when I led the league in interceptions with nine. So I, I, I put that all on Bud Carson by just putting me in position to make plays and – and uh, it worked out real well. So I was fortunate to have, uh, you know, two two good coaches, uh, you know, in my lifetime with the Browns. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was a quick impact with that new defense. The 1998, excuse me, the 1989 season opener is a Browns fan favorite to this day. A 51-0 victory in Pittsburgh. I have the, yeah. I have the numbers here. They're insane. The defense, your defense had three touchdowns, a safety, forced five turnovers, and sacked Bubby Brister six times. What went right that day, and how much confidence did they give you in Bud Carson's system? Oh, man, it was crazy. You know, we, we, we knew that we were good, but when we went in there and tore them up like that, that was unbelievable. I mean, we'd never been in the tip Pittsburgh and, and beat them like that before. I mean, I had beat Pittsburgh, uh, you, uh, I think, the year before that. I think we broke the jinx in 86, I think it was. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, yeah, that was that was just an awesome win, and, and one game that I will always remember because you know because of the rival there. But yeah, Bud made us some believers then. You know, we that was his first first game, and uh, you know from that on we we had a lot of momentum going on defense, and we make we were making things happen. We were getting the ball back for our offense. Our offense was putting some points on the board, and it was it was it was working well. So you know it didn't seem like we lost anything when Bud came in. Yeah, and I would tell everybody at home before we get to this last question, go back and watch the games where they played in Cincinnati, in Houston, in Pittsburgh, and it's nothing like it is today. You really think they're playing on carpet. Nowadays, they have this, this unbelievable you know, artificial turf, which is, is softer than real grass sometimes. It's incredible. But man, oh man, go back, go back and look at the games at Riverfront, Three Rivers, and the Astrodome, and it's amazing the players have any knees or feet left because it was like playing on carpet just uh, the the difference is unbelievable. La- you know, last question for you here, and thank you again. Um, th- that season, right back to the playoffs again. You know, you you're uh, you're you're beating Buffalo. You know, Metcalf has a big punt return for a touchdown in that game. You're about to beat the Buffalo Bills. All of a sudden, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, and the run and shoot offense marches right down the field to try to win the game before Clay Matthews intercepts it at the goal line to capture the Browns' victory. In the back of your mind, and you can be honest here, in the back of your mind, did it ever go through your mind like, oh, God, not again? <laughs> no, not really. No, we, 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 we felt pretty good about our positioning, and we, we and I think we had played decent that game. I think I remember had that big hit against Don Beebe. I remember that. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know what? We, 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 you know, anytime you get down there and get in score position and it's at the end of the game, you can, you can get a little uh, disturbed. But I think that uh, – I don't think we lost confidence. I, don't, I, I really don't ever thought that we uh, were going to lose that game. Uh, because, you know, Buffalo was pretty young at that time. but uh, and, and actually, Thurman Thomas had had some problems holding on to the ball that day. He did. Uh, and uh, But, uh, you know, Clay Matthews made a great play, uh, the, the pro bowler that he is. And hopefully one of these days he'll, they'll put him in the Hall of Fame, which I don't understand why he's not there yet. Me either. But, uh, but uh, 
you know, defensively, as we had done all season, is that we came up with the big plays. And, and, and you know, sometimes it was maybe late in the game or early in the game where we were able to put them away. But, you know, in those playoff games, you just never know how it's going to go, uh, you know, because, you know, the team that's supposed to win doesn't always happen. And that, that almost happened that day, but we, we were able to come through. And I think a lot of it just came to our experience and that we had been there before and we, we just made it in the end. Well, Felix, it was great to have you on the show today. We'll definitely have you again, maybe a little bit closer to the season. And uh, just, you know, enjoy your trip out there in Philly. Take care of the family. Uh, stay safe. And, right, you know, hopefully we'll see each other soon. And thank you so much for everything. You got it, Vince, anytime. All right. Have a great All day. Right, thank you. Right, Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Felix Wright, former Cleveland Brown, uh, you know, a legend on the Browns defense people still talk about today, especially that big hit on Don Beebe. Everybody have a great day. Thank you one more time for joining us on Keon Sports. And again, one of these things where I could guarantee you, you know, if, if you come aboard with us uh, for high school football this year, it's going to be incredible for you. For all our sponsors, the sponsorship rate is very, very small. You get a 30-second commercial during every single high school football game we broadcast. For Keon Sports, this is Vince McKee. Have a good day.